Do you ever feel like the key relationships in your life are not as they should be or not as they could be or not all that they could be? Do you ever get angry or impatient with the people around you? With people in, in your life? I know it's a very rhetorical question. Do you ever get judgmental or critical with the people around you? Do you ever think that the relationships in your life aren't as whole or healthy as Liz prayed as they could be? Or that maybe, and that maybe, just maybe, that part of the reason for that is you. That part of the responsibility for that lies with you, with me. And do you suspect that there may be a better way? Well, part of the good news is that there is a better way, that there is a good way, and we're going to talk about that this morning as we continue our study of the book uh, in the Bible known as Colossians, which as most of you know was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians, a new community of Christians in and around a city that is now uh, where is today in a, what would be in the borders of the country of Turkey. Paul had never been to Colossae. Uh, he only cared about it deeply and uh, was concerned about them from afar. He uh, reached out to them through a man named Epaphras who was from Colossae and who was their founder and their pastor. But Paul writes with love. He writes with concern. Uh, he is interested in what is happening in the lives of those who are coming to Christ, those who have found life in Christ, those who have found salvation in Christ. And so he writes. Before, he, uh, before we read uh, some of what he wrote this morning, though, let's pray again. God, help us to be attentive to you, to your word, to your will, and to your way. Help us to be attentive, not just with our minds, but also with our hearts and with our whole selves. Fill us with good things, with insights, with word, with truth, with grace. Grow within us as you plant your word in us, things that will bring you glory and bring us joy. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way, shape, or form deviate from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So over the past couple of weeks, we have seen how Paul transitioned from the first half of Colossians in which he described and proclaimed who Jesus Christ was and what God did and is doing and continues to do and will do through Jesus. And then in the second half of Colossians, uh, Paul begins to apply these truths about Christ, about the Lord, about who he is, about who God is in the everyday lives of the people of Colossae. And he seeks to do that for us today as well, God does, to show how the realities, the truth, the grace, the reconciliation, the redemption, the salvation uh, live out, play out, impact our everyday lives, how they shape and transform a person in so many ways, rewrite the script of our daily lives, our realities. In the latter part of chapter 2, verse 20, we read, Paul wrote a couple of weeks ago, since you died with Christ, since you died with Christ, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? And then a few verses later at this sort of halfway point, chapter three, verse one, we read two weeks ago, since you have been raised with Christ, since you died with Christ, 
And now since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, in Christ and through your baptism, my baptism, our baptism, and our identifying with Jesus Christ as a recipient of his mercy and grace, we have been invited to and immersed in a new life, not just a theological reality in a book, but a new, very real life, a new reality. Last Sunday morning, we read and talked about how part of that means and includes putting to death the things in our life that lead to death. And in order that we might live, putting to death things that are evil so that we might have life and have it abundantly in the name and in the way and in according to the kingdom of Jesus. And I've had conversations with several of you over the past couple of days, over the last week, about this putting to death things in our own lives. Things that we've lived with for a long time, things that we've kept in the refrigerator, the back of the closet or the garage of our lives and pulled out when we were hungry, angry, lonely, tired, pulled out on a rainy day. Someone described to me last week how they have allowed a couple of sins in their life to stay on life support in many ways. They've actually kind of almost gone to the trouble of hooking up, figuratively speaking, life support mechanisms to keep these things going. But God says through the Apostle Paul, put those things to death. In and as and because a person has identified with Jesus, immersed themselves in Jesus, and has entered into life in and with Jesus, and because a person will participate in the resurrection of Jesus, put to death those things that are not of Jesus, that are incompatible with life in Christ. By the power and the grace of God, put those things to death. Kill those things, or they will eventually kill you. And now we pick up Paul's letter, chapter three at verse 11. Uh, This is the word of God, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And we're gonna stop with just three verses this morning. And notice how Paul begins this paragraph in this little section, therefore, In other words, in consideration of all that's gone before, taking into account everything earlier that he's written, realizing what came first, therefore, and the therefore references the fact that the people to whom Paul was writing in Colossae are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And while some imperatives or commands are coming, Some imperatives and commands are right at our doorstep. The impetus for these are the fact that the Colossian Christians were God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Are you with me on that? There are two ways to read the New Testament. One is to read and hear the commands first and then to hear about Christ. One is to read the commands first the laws, the rules, all the things that we're called to do, supposed to do, ought to do, and then to learn and read and hear about Christ. But there is another way and a better way and an important way and the best way to read the New Testament is to hear first about Christ and to receive Christ 
and to take in Christ, ingest Christ, be immersed in Christ, live in Christ, and then and only then to hear about the commands, the things we're called to do, prompted to do, loved to do. And that's what's going on right here with Paul. He wants us first to hear Christ, know Christ, be in Christ, and then follow the commands. The Jews had always been God's chosen people, but now God has also chosen others. The Colossian Christians also, Paul writes, had been sought out by God, pursued by God in just the same way that the Jews always had been. You have been chosen. And Paul says to the Colossians, they were holy. And the word translated in English today as holy is hagios in the Greek. And it had two meanings, both of which are kind of at play together here. First, hagios meant different, distinct, distinguished, set apart. And the second meaning is sacred or holy or pure or godly. And so something that was hagios was set apart by God for God, different from the world in that it was of God, with God, for God. In the scriptures, God is described often as holy. He is different than everything else and better. The spirit of God, in other words, the Holy Spirit, because he is different, is described as Holy Spirit because he is different and distinct from every other spirit. The Sabbath day throughout the Old Testament in particular is a holy day because it is different than all of the other days and because it is set apart and distinct for God, of God. Certain ground is called holy because it is set apart, it is different for God's glory. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And similarly, Paul says those who are in Christ in Colossae you are holy. You are holy. You are set apart. You are differentiated, now chosen by God and for God. And Paul describes the Colossians as dearly loved, not sort of loved, not partially loved, not reluctantly loved, not conditionally loved, not distantly loved but dearly loved. And this is a, God's disposition toward you and toward me always. It always has been. It always will be. He chose us, not because we loved him or because we were lovable, but because he is love and in love makes this decision to love. And some of us have a difficult, difficult time either in our heads or with our hearts, comprehending that, receiving that, embracing that, welcoming that. Because we never feel like we are good enough. And I slip into that regularly myself. Paul, before he tells them to do anything, you are chosen, you are set apart in Christ and you were dearly, dearly loved. And to such people, then Paul gives the following commands or imperatives. Not in order that they might be loved or cherished or adored or valued or esteemed, but because they already were, were loved, cherished, valued, were worthy, esteemed. What follows are the sorts of things that a loving parent and a good and faithful parent says to his or her offspring or asks of his or her offspring or encourage in his, encourages in his or her offspring, offspring because they are loved. 
because they are loved, because they care. Sometimes I say to my kids, I'm not doing this, I'm not asking you to do this, I'm not requiring this because I'm mean, but because I love you. It feels mean sometimes as a parent. The discipline, the structure, that we need to do this. But if I didn't care about my kids, I would ask none of that of them. If I didn't love them dearly. And so Paul writes, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, any of you, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Last fall, as we were going through the way of Jesus, November 4th, we talked about compassion as a core part of the way of Jesus. To have or to exhibit compassion means to suffer with, we talked about. To suffer with someone. To be with another person in their suffering. To enter into that hardship of another person. And in some ways, to not only understand their burden, but also to help carry it. To provide companionship on that journey. To be stirred to action. To help alleviate the other person's suffering. Which is what God did for all of us and humanity in Jesus Christ. Through his incarnation. Through God becoming one of us. Through Jesus being tempted in every way as we were, but was without sin. Jesus exhibited compassion to people who were poor, the lonely, the hurting, the sick, the left out, the pushed out, the small, the insignificant, the pariahs, the outcasts. He entered into their suffering, our suffering, through his incarnation, through his humanity, and helped bear the weight of our suffering. And so healing us along the way. Compassion. You can listen to that sermon if you want to rewind and know more. And kindness. A disposition of grace toward other people and genuine acts of grace or unmerited favor and goodness toward and for other people. Humility, which is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Which is much more today of a, what I would call forgotten virtue in our culture. A virtue that has been lost in a world that is consumed by social media, so much of which is about, look at me. Look at me. This is the era, we live in the era today of the selfie. The loudest voice in American politics, I would dare say today, seems to regularly say, look how great I am. I am so great. In contrast, in stark contrast, in radical contrast, was my stepfather Peter, who died five weeks ago. And people over those days and weeks immediately following, in Messages, words of condolence and encouragement and thanksgiving, gratitude, said innumerable times, Peter, above all things, exhibited humility because it was never about Peter. The focus was never on him. He was never calling attention to himself ever. And so the quality or the virtue that people remembered and appreciated most and always will about Peter who was a colonel in the U.S. Army, was humility.
In another letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, do, not out of, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then there is gentleness, and every one of these could be a sermon in and of itself. Gentleness means tenderness. It means carefulness. It is dealing with another person with great sensitivity and attention. It is uh, dealing with someone as one would hold something that is very fragile, that is easily broken, something that is fragile or someone who is hurting. And patience, which in previous times was often described as long-suffering because that's what it is to endure for a long time something or more often someone that is uncomfortable or unpleasant or unlikable or not desirable and to do so without becoming anxious or judgmental or angry or without complaining, but instead to suffer long with understanding and a willingness to wait something out as long as it might take for the sake of love. This is patience. And yes, uh, part of patience uh, feels like it's an internal thing when we're challenged to practice patience. But patience is always also an external thing. It always has to do with other people and relationships and the way that we view or treat or think of or want from other people. And finally, forgiveness, to no longer hold against another person the sins which they have committed against me, against you, their transgressions, their debts. To earnestly extend mercy to someone who has hurt you, not allowing what that person did to be okay, but acknowledging that that person too is a child of God made in God's image and a person to whom, for whom Christ died. And despite their transgressions, that other person's transgressions, acknowledging that they too are dearly loved by God. And so Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because only people who are truly forgiven, who know that they are truly forgiven, can forgive and participate in the joy and the freedom of forgiving another person. Forgive us our debts as we forgive one another. As we become like you, Father, in your forgiveness enterprise. And so Paul writes, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because only, again, forgiven people can truly forgive. Only people who know that, if, know that they have been forgiven and the, the degree to which they have been forgiven. Only those people eagerly forgive, in my experience. Only the people who know they have been forgiven and the depths and breadth and length and ways in which they have been forgiven are or ever can be eager to forgive others. If you're interested in learning more about forgiveness, if you're interested in 
practicing forgiveness, if you're interested in living out forgiveness, if you're interested in becoming able to forgive more regularly or easily or having that become a regular part of your life, we're going to try to do a learning lab this fall on the subject of just forgiveness and forgiving. And if you are interested in being a part of that, grab me after worship or at the picnic today. Let's talk about it. Three of these six virtues, kindness, gentleness, and patience, are described in Paul in Galatians 5 as fruit of the Spirit or evidence of the Spirit among us, evidence of the Spirit in one's life. Friends, raising one's hands is not evidence of the Holy Spirit in one's life. But evidence, proof of the fruit of the Spirit in one's life are kindness and gentleness and patience. In the 13th chapter of the book of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the great love chapter of the Bible, Paul mentions most of these, patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, and also forgiveness, without using that word, as indispensable elements of what it means to love another person. Indispensable elements of what it means to love another person. And that's what we have here. None of these qualities are virtues that exist within a person and only within a person, for a person, for oneself. We don't take on any of these qualities or virtues that Paul talks about necessarily for ourselves, but they are all relational. They are all qualities or virtues that define how we interact with other people, that set the tone, that set the parameters, that guide us in our actions with other people, our interactions, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And then Paul writes, over all of these things, over all of these virtues, put on Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Over time, a a community's tendency is to unravel, to develop fractures, divisions. And this is also true and always true in churches, as you may have experienced. Whether those divisions are about the color of the carpet or the style of the music or the snacks after worship or some theological or biblical or ecclesiastical issue or maybe about a staff person. But Paul declares love is the all-important element that holds together not only the above virtues, but also relationships and communities and always the church. Love is the sum of the gospel. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the essence of Jesus' teaching. Not romantic love, but to wish another person well, to be about another person's good, to give of oneself sacrificially and generously, to be for other people, to have others' well-being in mind. Love is the sum of the gospel. Love is the essence of Jesus' teaching, that to which Jesus called his followers regularly and in a variety of ways. So if a person is in Christ, including through baptism, then the DNA of love is already embedded in a person, in their spirit, in their spiritual genes. There is still work to be done. Paul says you are holy, and yet do these things. You are holy, you are set apart, you are of God, you are for God, but now continue to do these things, be holy. Practice them, imperatives and indicatives. We are a work in progress, declared holy, God sees us as holy. Through the lens of the cross, we are made holy through Jesus' atoning work, but also become holy. As Jesus is, all of these things are manifest most poignantly and most powerfully and most clearly in Jesus himself. He epitomized 
all of these qualities and virtues in his person, not just in his teaching, but in his person as God, as divine. And so we are encouraged to clothe ourselves with Christ. To clothe ourselves with Christ. Yesterday and the week before, be immersed in Christ. Die with him, be raised with him, and now be clothed with him. You've taken off all of these other things. You've put them to death. That's not all. There is more. Now be clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, in a word that encapsulates them all, love. What does that look like in daily life? Some of us spend a lot of time getting dressed in the morning. A lot of time. Now, I, I know from, um, let's just say I know, that some people spend a good amount of time going through clothes in their closet. What am I going to wear today? What am I going to wear? This? No. How does this look? No. Does this match? No. What about this? I'm going to put on this? No. I don't like this. It's too tight. It's too loose. It's the wrong color. It's the wrong season. Some of us spend a phenomenal amount of time deciding what we're going to put on in the morning, how we look before we go out the door. How many of us stop, take a breath, say a prayer, consider before we go out each day Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, forgiveness. We put more attention on these things than what's inside. And Paul says, clothe yourselves every morning, every morning before you leave your home, or every afternoon as the case may be, or every evening depending on your schedule. Put on these clothes that are in Christ, that are gifted to you by God in Christ. Put them all on. Some of us just get up and conversely, get up out of bed, maybe brush our teeth, never look in the mirror, leave the house with crazy hair, are completely frazzled and late every morning. And also, just because we don't obsess about our clothes, neglect, forget to put on the things of Christ. And Paul says it's a daily adventure. A daily adventure. There is an overcoat of love, but if you haven't first put on the pants of kindness and the shirt of compassion and the shoes of humility, you cannot put on the overcoat of love. Put on Jesus Christ, Paul says. Put on Jesus every day. He is the supreme one. He has shown us his supremacy in the ways not just that he taught, but that he interacted with all of these people exhibiting these virtues. And he makes it possible for us to also embody every one of these virtues. So how are your relationships? How are your circles? How are your interactions with the people you live with and work with and interact with through your daily life? Are they as they should be? Are they as they could be? Are they all that they could be? Do you ever find yourself impatient, judgmental, critical with those people? Can it be better? Can those things be different? And Jesus says pray because his kingdom is present, but his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming. And he has made all of this available to us. Put on. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience.
Now look around real quick. Look around. Right now, look around. Because Paul's talking to the church. These aren't just about what's going on in here. But they're about the ways that we interact first with those who are together in Christ. And then all the rest of the people. Toward those people, for those people, in Christ together, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. We should look around again. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all together and binds us all together in perfect unity. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Help us, God, in the putting to death to which you've called us, putting to death the things that stand between us and you, putting to death the things that kill our spirits, kill our lives, kill our relationships, and help us to put on daily the essence of Christ, the the character of Christ, the person of Christ, the way of Christ, the heart of Christ, the love of Christ. Help us to daily embrace and intentionally, by your leading and in your grace, clothe ourselves with humility and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and compassion toward the people around us. And in doing so, we know, we already know, that our relationships will be better, that our lives will be rich and full and abundant, and that you will be glorified. So bring these things about, God. We ask and pray in Christ the Lord. Amen.